0: A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it?
1: Uh, my name is Nathan. I'm on staff here at the church. And uh I gotta be honest with you. Many of you already know. Uh I'm gonna talk about my kids again. And uh I'm not sure, here's the truth. I'm not sure if I was meant to be a uh hashtag girl dad. I have uh four daughters from seven uh to almost twelve. And I gotta be honest, I was not Prepared for this, okay? The other day I'm sitting outside with one of my daughters who'd been struggling for just a little bit. It was getting towards the end of summer, and she was just really struggling with all different kinds of things, really emotional about all different kinds of stuff. And she's right at that preteen age where everything is really stupid and annoying and stupid and boring and stupid. And so frequently we were having these conversations again and again about it. And so I'm sitting with her at the end of summer and I said, hey, what's been going on? You know, what's going on? What are you you feeling these days? And she starts talking to me and tears start to well up in her eyes. And she says, it's just that nothing's as fun as it used to be. And my normal response would be, oh, so things are boring. If things are boring, I can find something for you to do. This time I decided not to say that and instead I said, well, why does that worry you so much? She looked at me and she had these big tears well up in her eyes and she just said, I used to have fun all the time and now I'm scared. Nothing's ever going to make me happy again. And I just said, she said, you know, there's just nothing exciting about today. Nothing's fun anymore and maybe nothing will be fun again and I looked at her with compassion and I said hey look this is a normal feeling this is part of you know growing up and becoming a teenager right because when you're really little everything's exciting and new and everything's fun and, and you know every single day seems like there's something that you can get excited about and as you get older you start to realize Every day's kind of the same and she's like, "Yeah, that's what it feels like." And I said, "Yeah, of course that's what it is. You get up, you eat breakfast, you do school or, you know, you go to work when you're older and then you sleep so you can get up and do it all again and then one day you're dead." <laughs> and I said, "What you're feeling is called existential sadness. You're just Sad about existing, right? You're just sad that things aren't exactly the way you want to be. I said, but don't worry. It doesn't stay this way forever. You get older. You get used to it. And then one day you have what's called existential dread, and that's called turning 30. And when you turn 30, everything becomes something completely different. Now, you might not be at the end, the end of your first decade of life. I think all of, though, all of us, though, and the reason we all think it's really cute when a little kid feels this way is, well, we've all experienced something similar to this, or maybe you're even a little bit at this today. Somewhere around those preteen, teenage years, or maybe early adulthood, you start to kind of get this understanding that, well, life is pretty repetitive. It's just kind of The same thing over and over again. Not every day is summer vacation or, you know, a trip to the beach or a trip to Six Flags. And most days are just the same thing over and over again. And when you're young, that doesn't honestly feel like that big of a deal because you have all of these little stepping stones to go to. There's always something new to be looking forward to, you know. But it's diminishing returns. Things that used to fill your day with excitement now barely last you 30 seconds, right? Things that used to be the most exciting thing, they get boring pretty quick, and you start to wonder at some point, is this all there is to life? Is all there is to life? You just kind of do the same things, and then life is over. But luckily, through the teenage years, there are a lot of newness that comes about, a lot of change going on. You go from elementary school to middle school to high school and then you decide am I going to college or am I going to start my career and maybe you start to date and then you get married and then maybe you have kids and maybe you know you get a car when you're in high school but then you're able to get a better car once you're out of high school right and then you get a dorm and then an apartment and then a house and every time it's like these little stepping stones of hey there's something to look forward to and then you turn 30. And you go, I don't know, what's, what's next? Retirement, I guess? What's the next exciting thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to? And so at some point, you just settle into a routine. There's nothing that new and exciting. It's just that rhythm. Wake up, go to work, maybe you know, get some good lunch. And then you come home at some point and you try to find something to kind of kill the time until you can go to sleep and then do it all again. And at some point, you start to kind of feel that existential dread kick in. Isn't there supposed to be more to life than this? And so, if you're the right kind of personality, you start pursuing more and more for you and maybe your personality is, oh, I'm going to start looking for more in success. I'm going to find things to accomplish and to do. And so you're a goal setter because you want forward movement again and there aren't any external goals. So you start setting your own internal goals of where you think your family should be and where you think your career should be and all the little stepping stones that it takes to get there. And so you set the these goals for your career, or you inevitably go, hey, I'm going to go to the gym, and I'm going to set goals for my body, and so then your TikTok feed is just full of home improvement or self-improvement ideas, or you're one of those Pinterest people, and you've got all these different little things. You go, oh, and then once I accomplish that, and I check that off the list, it feels like something It's happening. It feels like life is actually growing. Or you have kids, and so you throw yourself into your kids' success. And you look at them, and you go, I don't know, they're a little bit like duds, so maybe I can set goals for them. And if I can set goals for them, they will achieve those goals, whether they like it or not, because I have set the goals of what success will look like for them. And so you want them to accomplish more and help them be more successful. And every time you check something off the list, it quiets that little bit of existential dread. And you go, no, of course there's more to life than this because I determined what was more to life than this. I set the goal for myself. Or Some of you are a little exhausted by all of that goal setting and you decided, hey, I'm not going to pursue more in the ideas of success. I'm going to pursue more in terms of happiness and comfort and pleasure, right? That I'm just going to try and find the most comfortable life for me. To live. And you reject the idea that I said earlier that every day can't be summer vacation, right? That every day can't be a party and a trip. You can find something every day to get excited about. And so you're one of those people that, unless you have something exciting to eat for lunch or exciting to eat for dinner, it wasn't a good day, right? It's only a good day if I got an exciting meal that's ahead of me that I can kind of go for, or you try to find something exciting going on in the future. And so you've not only got a vacation for the end of this year planned, you've got vacations next year planned. You've got trips planned out. You've got everything figured out. You binge watch TV more than anybody else. There ain't any TV show you haven't seen because you got to make sure I'm always finding something exciting to do and fun to do. And every time it feels a little bit like well, maybe there is something a little bit more to life than this. A little bit of existential dread, it gets a little quieter every time. and Every weekend trip to Target to buy more stuff that you don't need or even want, every single time that you start chasing that feeling and you got to go out and have another fun night and pursue another event or experience, every meal, makes my life feel a little bit more full. And then every so often you get quiet and it goes back in your head. Was I really that great? I spent a lot of money. I spent a lot of time. Maybe that's not as enjoyable as I thought it was. And it never really goes away because eventually the trips become less exciting. And eventually the accomplishments start to feel a little more hollow. And you reach your full potential, which is everyone says you become the best you you can be. The best experience you could ever have. And you think... Hey, that didn't feel like I thought it would feel. I got the career that everyone told me once I got there, I'd have made it. And it wasn't enough. And I thought marriage would be different than this. And I thought having kids or grandkids would feel different than this. And so we throw ourselves into all these different pursuits, trying to just quiet for a minute that feeling that maybe life was supposed to be more than this. And you should know, this is not some kind of modern American problem. This pursuit is as old as humanity. Now, it looked different in different eras. It looked different to different people, if you don't believe me. At some time, you should look in your Bible at the book called Ecclesiastes. It is all of this. It's chasing after the sun. I'm going to find life in something else. And you get to the end of it, and you go, maybe this was not quite as good as I thought it was going to be. In fact, one follower of Jesus remembers the time that Jesus commented on this exact idea. Here's how the disciple Matthew remembers it. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. You should know this is how Jesus did ministry. He would go from town to town, and he would do these miraculous signs. He would heal people, right? We know he fed large crowds. He would have these miraculous signs to kind of prove, hey, God's power, God's presence, God's kingdom is with me, right? You can see this active in my life. And as you read more and more, the towns start to kind of become aware Jesus is showing up. And so crowds start to come around because they want to be around this, this presence of God, this power of God. And it says that when Jesus would look Out at these crowds, this is what he saw. Matthew writes, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, most of us don't want to admit this about ourselves, but this is often how we feel in those moments of existential dread. This is effectively what my daughter was feeling when we were having that talk on the porch harassed and helpless. Like a sheep without a shepherd, you feel, uh, the term we often use is lost. You just feel like you have tried everything and nothing is working or working as well as it used to. And it takes some time for us really to get there. You kind of have to run down the pursuit of success for a while. You have to run down the pursuit of happiness for a while. You got to run down all these experiences that you think. You got to try that for a while to get to the end and kind of realize, hey, this This isn't what I thought it would be. This is not what I thought life was going to be. Because the truth is, what you have to find out is that that is a false gospel. It's not really good news. It sounds like good news. The bigger career, the better life, the more experiences. sounds like good news, but it is not good news. Because what you're looking for is not success. What you are looking for is significance. You want to know that your life matters and that you matter to someone, which is why ultimately you think romance is what you're looking for, but it's not what you're looking for. It's intimacy. You want to be known. You want to know another person fully. This is what ultimately you're looking for. It's not happiness. It's not better experience. It's deep. Satisfaction. It is what we used to call contentment. I'm okay no matter what happens in the circumstances of my life. But there is nothing in this existence that can satisfy all of those longings, which is why you feel existentially sad. You realize there should be more than just what I've been pursuing this whole time. It is only the God who created this existence and then stepped into this existence. Who can actually satisfy any of these longings and desires. He's the only one who can bring a rich and satisfying life. His name is Jesus. And when he was among us, he looked at the crowds that would come to see him, to draw near him, and he saw these people are harassed and helpless. They have been pursuing life and things that have only led to death. And they are like sheep without a shepherd. But church, there is good news that we proclaim. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd, and he is looking for his lost sheep.
0: There is another famous story in Jesus' life where he refers to people as sheep without a shepherd. Another writer of the Bible records, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. The religious leaders of Jesus' day are appalled that Jesus, a religious teacher himself, and who many were claiming was the Messiah, was spending his time with people who were known to be sinful. But they couldn't see that this was necessary for Jesus. You see, when you get caught up in trying to satisfy these deep longings for significance and contentment on your own, you either find life in God or you find yourself trapped in sin apart from God. And we've all experienced this. You went searching for success, and the pace of your life got to a point that you did damage to yourself or the people around you. Your marriage suffered, you missed out on a relationship with your kids, or you pursued happiness, but you looked for it in things that did not lead to life. They led to debt or addictions and patterns of life that once promised to fulfill your life, but ended up trapping you in a damaged lifestyle. And so Jesus spent his time with people who were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, people who were hurting and broken and often destroyed by self-inflicted wounds. Jesus once answered this same question from the religious leaders by saying, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I'm here for the harassed and helpless, those who are hurting because they've lost their way pursuing things that would never bring life. But these religious leaders didn't always get this, and so again, Jesus is having to answer why he spends his time with sinners and tax collectors. So this time, Jesus answers by telling this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Jesus is saying, can't you see what I'm doing? I'm pursuing the ones who don't even know they're looking for me. I'm the good shepherd and I love my sheep. And sometimes my sheep go looking for greener pastures. They go looking for a rich and satisfying life on their own. And they just didn't realize the only life that is truly rich and satisfying is with me, in my pasture, my kingdom. And so they wander off pursuing something else, but I am pursuing them. And when I find them, when they turn and see me pursuing them, they don't even have to do anything other than turn to me. They have to let me joyfully put them over my shoulder and I'll carry them home to be with me. And when I do, there will be great rejoicing because I have found my lost sheep. This is why the Father has sent me into the world to pursue the ones that have lost their way pursuing other things. And so just in case the religious leaders don't get it, Jesus makes it clear. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus's mission, the reason he went town to town healing and performing miracles, the reason he declares the good news of the kingdom is that he wanted those who were harassed and helpless and overwhelmed by life those who had lost their way to turn back to God, their good shepherd. And the good news is that Jesus is such a good shepherd that there's never too far that a sheep can wander, that the shepherd can't find them. Jesus continues to pursue us no matter how far we go or how many times we refuse to turn back to him. He is always pursuing and always waiting. So the moment we turn around and ask for his help, He will joyfully put us on his shoulder and carry us home to be with him
2: at the very end of his life jesus our good shepherd would go to the cross he'd lay down his life he'd give himself up for us so that we could turn to god and have new life with him and in the same way that jesus became what, in that way, he became what the prophet had said and that John the Baptist referred to him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the only person to ever be on this planet and not turn away from God. He's the only person to ever stand on this planet and not try to live his life in his own way, but to live it under God's guidance and care so that he could become the sacrificial lamb to carry away the sins of the world, so that you and I, all we had to do was simply turn to him and receive life in his kingdom. So every week, those of us who are followers of Christ, we come together to remember the sacrifice he had on the cross, and this is why when you came in, you were given this little set of elements. It's the bread to represent his body, and A cup to remember his blood poured out for us. It's called the Lord's Supper. And today, uh, you're invited to take along with us in just a minute these symbols to remind ourselves of the Lamb of God who gave his life for us. But it's possible that you're here and you don't yet believe everything we believe. And so I don't want you to feel in any way obligated to participate in this. You don't have to act like you believe when you don't believe. In fact, it would be better if you would just let this pass. But what I'd ask that you would do is, would you think about your life? Is it possible? Is it even probable that you've been pursuing significance and satisfaction in yourself? Or in other people, or in other things that are just hollow and empty, is it possible you could ask God that a truly rich and satisfying life that you've always wanted is available and found in Jesus? And maybe in the next few moments that I'm going to give you just of quiet while everyone else is remembering the life found in Jesus, you could just talk to Him. And maybe you could say to Him, Jesus, I need you I want you I want you in my life I know for sure he wants to be a part of your life and if you do that would you would you be willing to let somebody uh, here today know about that after the service if you stop by and talk to us about that so we'd love to help you figure out what your next step after that is but right now we're going to remember Jesus. You can take these elements at your own time. We have about 90 seconds of quiet, and then our band is going to come and lead us in singing to King Jesus. Let's remember him now.
3: If you guys will, go ahead and stand. blood poured out, my sin erased it once, my nephew died, I am raised to life, hallelujah, the Son of God, my name upon your show. There is no greater life, the Savior needs- Blood
1: So, to be clear, who is the shepherd who searches for the lost sheep? It was not a trick question. It's Jesus. Jesus is the shepherd in the story. So the question that I think we have to deal with when we read this story of the shepherd pursuing the lost sheep is, who are we? What are we supposed to see in this story? Well, we're either the one... Or we're the 99. At some point, we've all been the one. And maybe as we've been talking this morning, maybe for you, you're realizing right now in your life that you're the one. That you've wandered away from God, that you've pursued life in things that are empty and hollow or even destructive to your life. I hope that you'll talk to God about that. I also hope that you'll talk to us about that at our Next Step Center. We'd love to talk with you about that. But many of you in this room, well, you turned back to God years ago. You've been following life with God, with the Good Shepherd for years. and You've gone from being the one to the 99. And so what is our responsibility now? Is our responsibility, well, we just stay put, right? The Shepherd's out looking, we stay and just hang around and do our part. I mean, we do need to be clear, it is Jesus who is the one pursuing the one. Jesus is the only one who saves, right? It is Jesus who does the saving. You are not going to be anyone's savior. And the truth is, there are a lot of believers who have gotten this backward. And I'm one of them. We get this backward so often, we are convinced, hey, God has sent me to my coworkers and to my neighbors and even to your adult children for many of you, and you know, I know you're a lost sheep, and I know you need to get back, and so God has sent me to bring you back, even if that means i got to break your legs and pull, leave you dragging the whole way there. I'm getting this lost sheep home by any means necessary. And there may not be much rejoicing, but we're going to get the job done. Well, how does that go for you? Doesn't work out well, does it? does not work the way that you want it to because you are not the savior or the shepherd. Jesus is. You and I, we are sheep and we belong to the shepherd. So what is our responsibility? Well, for that, I think we need to go back to Jesus standing before the crowd of harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. Matthew tells us Jesus had compassion On the crowds. When he saw them, he had compassion. Now, compassion, the original language is this word that means this gut level reaction. It almost feels like anger. It's almost the reaction that you felt before when you really love someone and they're hurting and you can feel it in your gut. You hurt with them, you feel their pain, you have this compassion for them. You hurt so badly, it almost makes you sick to your stomach. It says, Jesus saw these crowds, he has compassion. On them, And so Jesus turns to his disciples, to his sheep, and I like to imagine at least that he has tears in his eyes like when he does when he stands before uh, the city of Jerusalem just before his death and he weeps over the city that has, well, it's lost. And he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, the writer in me wants to say, Jesus, you're mixing metaphors here, and that's not helpful to anybody. You just said that we've got lost sheep. They're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They're also fruit and a harvest. It's a little confusing. What are you actually saying? Well, I do think it's actually a little intentional here. I think Jesus' point is saying he sees these crowds. He feels like they are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he turns to his disciples And he says, hey look, your role, first your role is you need to ask that the Lord would send more workers into the field. But I think the understanding here is that they too would be workers in the harvest field. That your job is to be ready to reap the harvest. That at harvest time you hire more workers because they're going to go out and their job is just to see, is this ripe? If so, it's coming home. Is this ripe? is it coming home? Jesus is the one who is doing the pursuing. Jesus is the one in the story of the sheep who goes off, and he's the one searching for the sheep. He's the one trying to find this, but if you use, once again, the farming language here, Jesus also tells a parable another time that says that he is the farmer who sows the seed, and the seed is the word of God, that Jesus is going around, and he is seeding a field, and he is planting seeds, the Holy Spirit is at work calling people, drawing people at all times back to God. And it is our job to be the workers in a harvest field. So what we need is we need proximity to the one. It's not our job to go out and go, hey, I'm dragging you back and you're coming back. Our job is I need to be near enough to some people in the harvest field that I can see when they are ripe enough. When I can see when something is actually working in their life, we are to be near enough to people who do not yet live in God's kingdom so that we can see the signs that the harvest is plentiful. It is not to go out into the harvest field and just start pulling and ripping fruit off the vine whether it's ripe or not. We're going to make it happen one way or another. I had started gardening during the pandemic for a, a various number of reasons, but I was home a lot. And so we started gardening during the time, and I knew nothing about what I was doing. And so I had planted peppers. Tomatoes were easy to me because they turned from green to red, and I knew, okay, now it's right. But I had all these green peppers, and I would ask people, when do I know? And they go, well, it's when they're the right shade of green. And I go, mm-hmm, what What is that? What is the right shade of green? But then I had this old guy who, on this Facebook group, he commented on it, and he put, I've been gardening for... F-. Now, I couldn't hear his voice, but this is what I thought his voice sounded. He goes, like, I've been gardening for 50 years. And I'll tell you this, when something is ripe, you don't have to pull it off the vine. It's ready to go. He goes, you just go up, you put your hand on it, pull just a little bit, it comes right off. He goes, if you have to pull too hard, it's not that ripe. And I said... Great, that's an easy enough thing. And I said, that also explains how many branches I have destroyed by sitting out there trying to pull this thing off. And I go, oh, great, now I've destroyed half the plant. Well, because when something is ripe, when something is ready, it doesn't take as much effort to do what you need to do. And if everyone can get the metaphor here quicker, we can go home sooner, right? You see how this is working, right? How many believers, how many of us have hurt or damaged or destroyed the good work that God is doing in someone else's life. Because we are trying to argue, and trying to debate, and trying to convince others, you have to believe what I believe, and no one's open. And you just keep hammering that nail again and again, and you go, I wonder why no one opens up. I wonder why no one seems open. It's because the way of Jesus is gentle and full of compassion, And you and I are to be his workers in the kingdom field. We are looking for signs that someone is waking up to what God is doing in their life. As the Apostle Paul has said, and we've quoted this a lot recently, that our job is to be ambassadors for Christ's kingdom, as though God were making his appeal through us. That we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, come back to the Father. When we see someone is open to what God might be doing in their life, our job is to simply say, hey, that tension you're feeling, that thing that you're feeling, I think that's God at work in your life. And I think you just, would you just be open to the idea that maybe God is active, that he loves you, that he cares about you. And this thing that you're feeling, this disappointment you feel with the way life is going, this frustration you feel of keep going after the same thing, maybe, maybe, You should come and see what God has done for me when I felt the exact same way. Because those of us who have found life with God, we not only know how good and pleasing and how rich and satisfying life with Him is, but this is key. We must never forget what it felt like to be the one. Though we know how good and pleasing and rich and satisfying life with God is, we must never feel like forget what it feels like to be harassed and helpless and you are putting so much effort into getting life to go the right way and every time it just makes it worse every time you try something that you think man this is brilliant if i could get her on my path if i could get him on my path everything would work and then it just blows the relationship up we should never forget what it feels like to be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, lost and searching for life and things that feel empty and hollow, and so we too should be filled with compassion, not anger that anyone doesn't believe what I believe, or even thinks it's stupid that I believe what I believe. It's not my job to defend why I believe what I believe. It's my job to have compassion, to be moved with love towards someone else, that in my gut, I want to help others find their way back to the good shepherd, but isn't it funny, most of the time we want to help people find their way to God, but most of the time what we do is we spend our time hoping people find their way back to God. I have no way to actually help anybody. I just think, well, my job is just kind of hope it happens. But see, we know that life in God's kingdom, all broken things can be made whole. All hurts can find healing. All families could be made whole. All lives could find deep significance and satisfaction in Jesus. And so we want this for everyone. And so we are Christ's ambassadors. We are the 99. We are his sheep. And we want to join Jesus in his work to draw people back to him. And this is what we do together. And maybe you miss that some Sundays when you come and you just, you feel like, man, I'm just showing up because this is what I do. Every Sunday we gather to love and honor Jesus who gave his life for us so that we could find life in him, Right? That's what we just saying about. We gather because I remember Jesus gave his life so that we could find life with him. And then, as the 99, we equip ourselves to go out into the harvest field. To remind ourselves, every day when you go to work, every day when you go into your neighborhood or you go to the gym that you go to, or you, know, you don't go to the gym, so you go to a place to eat, wherever you go to eat, you know, all the places that you go, God has put you there for a reason that you have proximity to people who are not experiencing the fullness of life with God. And so we just want to join him in his work to do good in the lives of others, that we want to love and serve like Jesus has loved and served us. We want to pray for our neighbors and our co-workers, the people we see at the ball field and at the gym and the places that we shop. We are always looking to see, where is God at work? How could I join him in what he's doing? And then when I see signs in the life of somebody that they are opening up to what God might be doing in their life, my job is just to say, hey, come back to God. It's not to have all the answers. It's not to argue with anybody. It's just to say, hey, this is what God has done for me. I think he could do the exact same thing for you. Would you just come and see how good and pleasing life with God is? Next week, we're going to talk more about what that actually looks like to look in the lives of people and be able to recognize signs that something is actually going on. But for today, I just want you to consider who might be the one That God has placed around you. Who is the one person that you can see? Man, God is doing something in their lives. Think through the fields that God has called you to go into. Your workplace, your neighborhood, your child's school. The places that you shop and that you eat. And who do you see there? What's going on in their lives? Do you even know what's going on in their lives? Or do you just show up and do your bit and leave? Do you actually know what's going on in the lives of people that you could begin to see? Are they discontent? Are they frustrated? Right? Are they disappointed? Are they worried? You know, is God exposing a longing for his kingdom and his way of life within these people? And if you don't know where to start, it all starts with prayer. And so if I said, you know, you go and you don't even know what's going on in the lives of people, start with prayer. Start praying. Look, like I said, when I was gardening, I did not know the signs. You don't know the signs. So just pray, God, give me your eyes. Give me your ears to hear what's going on in the lives of others. Would you begin to pray that this week? Would you begin to look for God's activity in the places that you go and the lives of the people who are around you? Because there may be one that God has placed around you, that he has been pursuing, that he has been planting seeds within of life, in his kingdom, and all he's saying is, "I need someone there who when, that, when they are just ripe and ready to fall off the vine, you're just there to pick them up and bring them home. Would you just begin to pray, would you begin to look and to see? Because here's the truth: there are people around you there harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, and you know the good shepherd. You know how good life is with him. The truth is the deepest satisfaction, the deepest significance I've found in my life has been living in his kingdom. But also the fact that he allows me to partner with him. He doesn't need me. He could do it all on his own. But he allows me to be a part of what he's doing in the lives of other people. And every day it fills with a different sense of purpose and meaning and satisfaction to my life. And that is a gift that I want for you. So to end our time together, I've invited Ed to come and lead us in a time of prayer to help God focus our eyes and ears to what he's doing around us.